The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven, the unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, Mayfair Witches, and AMC's Immortal Universe, which includes both those series and hopefully more to come in the future. We are your hosts. I am Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are the Articulate Coven. And we are talking about books, Ashley. Uh, yes, we are. I, before we uh, before we started recording, actually, we were talking about some of the books we've been reading lately. And we're reading all sorts of stuff. We are. Everything except vampires, pretty much, currently. Everything except vampires. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's wild. I, but I went on a tear, I guess. I guess back in the summer, maybe, or maybe it was in like maybe around the fall, like the beginning of fall. But like I was able to unlock my reading superpower that I had as a child, which was that I could read any book in a day. You know, like I could just cover to cover, and I just got on a tear. I finally finished Armand. I don't know why it was a harder read for me. It's a different read as an adult. It's just very different. And then after that, I was like fucking time for Pandora and that's my favorite and that book reads so fast for me so I read that in just like a few hours and then I was like blood and gold let's do this and so like I read three books in like four days it was fantastic that is amazing god yeah that was weird we that was just a normal week for us when we were 10 11 12 yeah 16 we were you and I were totally that kid that could like I mean I was gonna stay up until the book was done. I okay, I'm looking it up right now because I gotta tell you exactly why I had a problem getting through the Vampire Armand this uh, most recent reread when I did. Okay, so far the I've been doing audiobooks for all of these so far in our uh, episodes. Uh, I say that that's not entirely true. W- when we discussed Interview with the Vampire, I had read about half of it on my Kindle and then I did half of it as an audiobook. So I did some of both. But Simon Vance voiced all of the audiobooks so far in the Vampire Chronicles until this one. It's terrible. The Vampire Armand is narrated uh, in Audible, at least, by Jonathan Marotz, and I had never heard him before. And he seems to be fine. He does, by the way, voice uh, the audiobook adaptation of Vittorio the Vampire, which probably means I will be reading that on my Kindle, if I'm very honest with you. Yeah. I had this on, I had the same thing. I had this on audiobook too, and I tried to listen to it. It just didn't hit me right. I don't know. And maybe it is because Simon Vance is so fucking great. He, like, Simon, uh, Tell the Body Thief was such oh, a good listen. It's just so great. This wonderfully lush European generic accent, right? Like, where, what is Lestat's accent even supposed to be? He's lived so many right. lives, right? And Lestat's right. not even your only narrator. Oftentimes he's, you know, recanting uh, or re- recounting other people's flashbacks and stories that they're, so like the voice is sort of theirs, et cetera, et cetera. But still he reads it all in this very thick, layered, beautiful accent. And then... This fella just didn't. It's this, and uh, again, like Armand's even more of a European character in my mind than Lestat is. Lestat obviously came from Europe, but to me, and he says it in the novels, like he's a very American character, right? right? Oh yeah, he's very like he's French, but he's American, you know? Yeah, the brashness and the rogue, the brat, the very brat prince idea is like. Who says we're a monarchy? Like, that's very much uh, an American feeling. And he is as much based off of, like, you know, noir detectives as he is, uh, you know, Dracula or some old, old world uh, vampire figure. Anyway, the same thing happens, by the way. I just want to go ahead and give you a preview in the final novel when you get there. If you get to uh, Blood Canticle, it's read by Eric Quinn Shaw, uh, Christopher's friend, and, and Eric oh, is yeah. also a friend of Anne. And Eric does a fine job. But again, he does not try the accent at all. And it's just jarring. And it's a, it's a letdown if you're used to the other books. So The woman who reads Pandora is fantastic. Like, the audiobook of Pandora is 
amazing. I remember specifically, I listened to it on tape driving from Ruston, Louisiana to North Carolina, just blowing rock North Carolina when I was working here one summer. And I listened to that audiobook on that drive and it was so good. And I, I listened to it again this round and it is just as good as I remembered it being. Uh, that's exciting and very much going to be an, an uptick from, from this Armand novel. Yeah, you know, Something that occurred to me, <laughs> um, listening to our fans talk about their own experiences and then us rereading these books for the first time in a long time for both of us uh generally when we were those precocious children that we joked about reading you know four books in a week or whatever right when we first discovered Anne when we raced through these novels for the first time um we heard her we heard what she was saying and both of us have talked about in this show and elsewhere how and opened us up to ideas and concepts and theologies and philosophies that we never would have been exposed to probably otherwise. So it wasn't like we weren't paying attention. But now as adults, it's not only that we, I feel like we are hearing her, but we are listening to why she is saying the things that she says. I never questioned why certain narratives, certain tropes, are dealt with and addressed again and again and again by multiple characters throughout Anne's writing. And now in my rereading, I am, I'm psychoanalyzing Anne in some ways. Right, you know, absolutely. Uh, backwardsly. And I, I don't think that's wrong, uh, particularly for an author that you know as well as you and I know Anne and her work. But it, it anyway, it, this novel particularly made me question. Well, it's the same... It's the same sort of thing, like when I read Stephen King, who is another favorite author of mine, like probably my number one favorite author of all time. And when I read him, I I I I listen and I understand and I know the characters, but I also feel like I've been in this relationship with this man for so many years of my yeah. life, you know. And so I see him and his thoughts and how he's feeling about things or how he thinks about things coming through that, you know, and, and how that's changed over time. And that's one of the cool things about these authors that we love that are so prolific and have written so much over such a, a good period of time is that we get to see kind of how they grow and change and their perspective on things changes. And, and, and I, I, I think that's a really cool part of, of being a, a constant reader. It, you know, I don't think that it belittles, I don't think it should belittle someone's interest or worth or anything if they don't consider this sort of thing. But for me, this is this discussion that we're having right now is why I find it so difficult to separate the work from the creator themselves. You know, when yeah. when you when you have somebody canceled or you find out a, kind of a shocking thing about a different creator that you've cared about, um, I do find it difficult to remove that from the work because their work is inherently uh, them. A, Yes, it's a, yeah. a particularly as an author. Like that's very, very true as an author. You think about uh, Stephen King's a good example just because he's lived his life so publicly, uh, even right. more so I think maybe than Anne did. Anne was very public uh, as a figure, but her day-to-day -day life seemed much more private, I think, than King's yeah. has often been. Uh, in particular, you know, we watched King nearly be killed in a car accident and then go through that Holy and shit. overcome it. Yeah. But now he's got a pain pill addiction and uh -huh. he's fighting and he's with opioids again for the first again. time. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, it's like, oh man, all of the, and, and if you know him, things... you've been through that with him already. Like we've yes. already done this, bro. But it's really cool because not cool. That's a f dumb well, yes. way to phrase that. But it's, it's really interesting how that is fucking true in life. Like if you have addicts in your life, if you love an addict, they, it's a cycle and you go through it again sometimes, you know, and that's part of it. And, and, and fighting through that and pushing through that and, and coming out on the other side is, is part of what makes life fucking awesome and beautiful and worth fighting for. You know what I mean? Like not to get all like, I don't know, <laughs> up on my whatever, but you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's, it's, you feel the healing that they're doing through the, the art through the work through the words Absolutely. and that's fucking awesome and it's just it's a cool thing because it makes you feel less alone out there in the world yeah 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 well and it it allows us to see ourselves not only in the narrative themselves right we can see our struggles as humans or our failures or our flaws or whatever in the character of Lestat or the character of Louis or the character of Armand but also we can see ourselves 
in the meta narrative with the author over the course. I mean, I think specifically about Anne, that's absolutely been the case that my own religious walk. Right. I was, I was thinking that, that, that has mirrored hers in some way. I, we haven't walked in step with one another. And yet we've both danced across that line a few different yeah. times for different reasons. But, you know, always a search for, I think, the same sort of thing, which is like, honestly, it's our position in the universe. Like, right. We, and a yearning to understand, like, yes. understand why we're here, what we're here for, what's yes. our purpose, what's next, you know, like all of those questions, I think that's just a piece of the human condition and and to be able to to go through all that with people you know with characters with fictitious characters with an author with other people who are passionate about the same things that speak to us you know it it has made i mean it literally makes your life richer well and it's literally the story of this novel in a lot of ways it is armand's armand is playing out in this one book as uh, Anne's, you know, figure as she searches for her own purpose. That's all that Armand does in this novel. He is he's just desperate for a reason for his being and for all this sojourn that his he's been on for, you know, five hundred six hundred years. By the time this novel is over, and I, I don't know, I found him more sympathetic in this reading than I've ever found him before. I still don't care for him. Personally, Armand and I would not be friends. I very much feel about him. I think like <laughs> Lestat does. I love him. And yet, you know, like. <laughs> right. It's, you know, my re- when I first read Interview, I was in love with Armand. Like, I, I, I well, loved it's Louis's him. eyes, right? It's Louis's eyes. You're seeing him through Louis's eyes. Him. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I was just infatuated and then even though the casting was fucking horrible Antonio (laughs) Banderas playing Armand was a sexy cup of Spanish deliciousness that we all deserved to enjoy if you you take away the physical descriptions of the character and you just say who is Armand in our story he is this desire of Louise for both a physical and emotional and romantic companion, but also a mentor and leader, a purpose, a shining beacon to show him which way to head and how to be now. And Everything that Lestat could not do. Yes. Everything that Lestat could not be for him. He's also like so opposite to Tom Cruise's physical portrayal in the film, right? Oh, yeah. If you look at that, again, like we've said with some of the things that they've changed in this series... In retrospect, I think that casting choice was very apt because of what they wanted Armand to do in their story. They weren't thinking about Armand's story. They were thinking about Louis' story in that moment. So it fit. Yeah. Teenage Ashley did not give a fuck that he did not have (laughs) curly red hair and look like a little cherub angel. She was like, holy shit, this Spanish man. You know, like, Burn me with that candle, baby. Yeah. Hell yes. So I, yeah. So I had this, like, passion for Armand I guess is probably a better way to say it right off the bat you know and then you and then and then you go through interview you go through uh the vampire Lestat and you go through that journey and then you go through you know just the more you get to know him and the way other people see him he's very desirable but he to me sometimes is more of a brat than Lestat you know like like he's so petulant and so Oh, but then also I think about how young he was, you know, when he was turned and and even though he's five, you know, he's a millennia old, he's still at the core is this like lost boy searching for what's next. Yeah, the perpetual child. It's it's a really interesting um companion to the Claudia character and I, yes! I do wonder how much how young is Armand going to be in his origin as a vampire in this in this series um you know the actor is is not that young but I no. mean, you could you could tell me that he was you know 20 when he was turned oh, or something like that. Also, probably that it. man is delicious. Like, I've been He's looking so at the looking. whole time we were talking about the, uh, the whole time we were 
recording our last episode talking about the uh, upcoming season, I literally just had pictures up scrolling through them of these gorgeous, gorgeous vampires. And what a what a delight. He's very well cast. Again, not necessarily looking like our our um Botticelli Armand, but still just like really good casting. He feels very um at times he looks just very tortured, you know, and that's I think a a, a real part of Armand that gets sort of overlooked sometimes when we're thinking about him, at least when I'm thinking about him as a character. Well, okay. Just as I said earlier about how Antonio Banderas was a an aptly cast Armand for what they were trying to do in that film. I was thinking about this very same thing with our Armand here in the series. What does our Louis want and need? One of the things that we already know for a fact that he wants is a true companion, someone who sees right. the world from the same vantage point that he does. And here I mean specifically a person of color. And our Armand in this series is a person of color. Yes. Not the same background as our Louis, right? But also, we already know, of a religious upbringing and background, too. So these are two characters born to darkness now, and yet they come from a devout religious faith. Uh, they each have their own sort of interesting and difficult journey with that religion. And they both are walking through, you know, the early 1900s uh, Earth as men of color, which and they both have very complicated relationships with their creators. Yes, right. You yes. know that's another thing that they share. They both have these very kind of like difficult, sort of tortured kind of thing with their with their you know with their creator. And again, opposite physically to our Lestat. This Armand is shorter than Sam Reed. This Armand is smaller than Sam Reed all over. And obviously, as I said, not white and blonde. So right. I, I, do, I do think that there's something to be said about Armand being, I mean, again, if you look at Anne's writing or you listen to her talking about these characters, Lestat is always her first love. She's got a deep and abiding love for Louis. She, like Lestat, falls in love at times with David Talbot and with Marius. She does, and it's not that she does, all of her children are her favorites, right? I'm sure. But she does <laughs> not feel that same way about Armand. Armand is at a remove. Armand is about what Armand provides to these other characters because they are the loves and the focuses of Anne's attention and imagination. This is someone, too, who always holds their thrall, though. Like, they mm. can always keep them. Somehow, he has something about him that keeps them at least a little bewitched. Even even Lestat, they are very, you know, they have a very content, you know, contentious relationship and what have you, but they do have some, like, underlying, very, very intense feelings for each other well i think if armand were a different person lestat would have fallen as deeply in love with armand as he did with louis it was like armand at least in the novel it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the series especially because it seems like we're going to hear it from armand's perspective first what, how did Armand, did Armand open himself up to that? Did Armand pursue Lestat in the same way that we know Lestat was looking for answers and power and all of the things that Armand could have provided, but didn't want to? Armand was right. closed off and not willing to change. You, you mentioned earlier- And he was earlier, in that very, like, he was in that very, you know, he wasn't, if, if Lestat met the Armand that Louis met- this would be a very different relationship. I think it would have gone very similarly to how Louis and, and Armand's do Absolutely. in the novel. Absolutely, I think they, so too. They lived together for years and then drifted apart as as Louis basically outgrew Armand effectively. Right, and I think that like the Armand he meets is so like disappointing to him. Mm. You know, like you know, remembering when he comes comes upon them and they're all just in rags and everyone. They're, you know, these old outdated thoughts and things like that and these old stupid traditions that he knows are bullshit. And, and it's just like not what he wanted or was expecting to find, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially, you know, Lestat's birthed into uh, Darkness by Magnus, who is like 
literally a physical monster to behold and also he's an alchemist and a wizard and he makes Lestat and then he immediately jumps into the flame and he's like right thank you a fortune in the basement bye baby deuces (laughs) scatter scatter (laughs) my ashes here's some gold throw me in the yard Um, so, I mean, like, yeah, he was woken up in like a whole different world. And then he finally finds some other vampires because for a while he's like in despair. He's like, oh, that was the only one. I'll never know what I'm supposed to do or whatever. And then he sees other vampires and he's like, you're superstitious. Like you saw, you caught me in the <laughs> What is church. this bullshit? Obviously it's not a problem for us to be there. Anyway. Um, so here's a thing that you mentioned though earlier about Lestat and, and, Armand being similar in the fact that they're both brats, the the difference, and this is the fundamental difference that I think makes Lestat more appealing to me, and I think more appealing to Anne, and it goes back to that that wandering religious journey and philosophical journey that we were talking about her having in her life. Lestat is never afraid to change his mind. Lestat is never no. afraid to adopt a new idea or or behavior or concept, and yes that makes him a little unstable (laughs) and it definitely makes him frustrating (laughs) for the elders all through his story, but it also continually keeps him right. Right. Like as new information comes, as new things happen, Lestat changes what he does. And some of the other vampires, most of the other vampires are are slow to do so. Absolutely. And Lestat never gets tired of searching for more meaning. You know, like, he loves people. He loves humans. He loves humanity. He loves emotions. He loves all, everything that makes, that makes the world a rich and interesting and challenging and scary place. He loves all of that. And he's entranced by all of that, you know. And Armand is not like that. Armand has seen a lot of the horrible things in the world and has experienced a lot of horrible things in his life as a young man and also as a vampire, you know, like, so he's, I don't think he's as, he doesn't have as much whimsy and as much like excitement about things as Lestat does. I think that's something that I love so much about, about our brat prince is that he's, he's just about the experience. Mm, that is, that is, that, boy, you could put that on the cover of his memoir. Lestat, he's just about the experience. Just about the experience. Um, <laughs> what, did the, what did the kids say now? I did it for the plot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did it for the plot. Um, okay, so here's the thing. You mentioned it earlier about Antonio Banderas' casting. It's probably, it occurs to me now, colored somewhat by that casting. I always think of Armand as a child of the Italian Renaissance. I think about him as Italian. And I'm sure it's because of his time with uh, uh, Marius in Italy. And because that's where I feel like his origin is. This book of right. course, makes it clear he's a Northeastern European kid. You know, he's, he's a Ruski, effectively, on yeah. the, the border of, of what would one day become Russia. Um, here, I just want to go right off the top here. This entire book is about iconography. Armand starts, you know, the story basically as an incredibly gifted painter. It's the reason why he's intriguing to those around him as he's tossed about in his early life. It's the reason why he draws Marius's attention eventually. How are they going to do any of that justice when our Armand is of a religion that does not believe in icons? Um, correct me, please, listeners, if, if I'm speaking out of turn here or or incorrectly in some way. I mean, I know that the Islamic faith does not allow for depictions of the prophet, but do they allow for icons of any kind, saints and such? I am woefully uneducated. I mean, I don't believe they do. But I will say this, I the idea of you know, and 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 you and I just having such a different experience with religion in our lives, I totally think that that is something that can lift right out like that doesn't Mm. seem as important to me (laughs) well so i've got a line here towards the end of the of the novel um where is it where is it is there is there anyone now that needs to ask me what an icon means to me and it's when he's talking about he's finally caught up with the modern day and he's talking about right and talking about the the veil discovery of veronica's veil yeah uh at the end of the devil Okay, so this is this is part of it too. I think all of that 
I, I find that whole section very upsetting when it happened, but also I find it, it just rings hollow to me. It never, to me, it never seemed like that was what it was about, you know, like proving, I don't know, like I, I have this very, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's it's my hang up with like not being as committed to religion, I think, that I'm just like, I can't, I don't think that that's why he did it. I do think that it is entirely possible that this series, when we get to Mimnock, takes out the uh, sort of end of that book storyline where, you know, a modern day Christian revival happens effectively because oh, yeah. the, the true veil... So I do, I do imagine you could take that out. I do wonder, though, how you get the story of Armand without it being sort of this like religious, tragic epic. It seems so central. And I suppose you could do some of that with the Islamic faith, and we've discussed some Absolutely. of those in the past, but particularly the idea of the iconography. I'm wondering, please, somebody that knows more than we do, tell us in the comments yes, to this. Give absolutely. us some feedback, and we'll include it in our next episode. Well, no- that's another thing I think is really exciting and something I loved about like Ms. Um, uh, Marvel, the idea of getting introduced and 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 get a more kind of in depth look at at a religion I'm not as familiar with. I yes. fucking love that idea, and I really it it would be very exciting to see them pursue that and to show that and to explore that. So like I think that 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 could be just an amazing thing to watch happen and and a really great way for Westerners to learn more about a culture we don't know as much about as we should. Let me say in the Miss Marvel series, my favorite part of that, honestly, was like the mundanity of the family. Yes, oh, I love the family tradition than you, but like oh, their day to day life is probably just like your so mom fantastic. and dad, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas like <laughs> Armand's story is one of continual tragedy. And very particularly some youthful mishaps that I think (laughs) would lead to potential negative stereotypes for the Islamic faith. So that's where (laughs) I want to go right now. Because let me tell you something. This book wastes time. Let's get into it. The book book starts... Like, not 30 minutes in, you're in this heavy conversation between David Talbot, who, again, I'd kind of forgotten. David wants to be, at this point in the books, he wants to be the scribe for all of the vampires. He's going to tell everybody's stories and collect the histories. So he's approached Armand for this very purpose. And he and Armand are are going back and forth about a lot of things. But Armand gives David David this line, there's no fun. No such fun on earth like the raping of an equal. (laughs) Because yeah. he's talking about I'm gonna I'm gonna take you whether you want it or not, David. David, by the way, let's remember, David is an elderly British man who is currently and for the rest of time in a vampiric body of a young Indian man, very attractive, very large. Everybody loves. Oh, allow me. Allow me, Joel. A handsome gent, the color of caramel, moving with <laughs> such cat-like ease and gilded glances that he makes me think of all things. Wh- all things once delectable, and now a potpourri of scent. Cinnamon, clove, mild peppers, and other spices, golden, brown, or red, whose fragrances can spike my brain and plunge me into erotic yearnings that live now more than ever to play themselves out. His skin must smell like cashew nuts and thick almond cream. It does. <laughs> listen this book listen. has got some real good fucking writing in it by the so way i was i was way into that before he started talking about how he was gonna he was gonna rape and is equal here and that was gonna be joyful. yeah um, uh, my lines from page 15 the raping lines from page 16 <laughs> yeah and then they get into the, the the boy fucking two which is like and that's listen what Look. i mean we know we know and we've talked about ansexuality and I've got my own theories that, that have been discussed at length and I'm sure we'll circle back there eventually. But I do wonder what is her fascination with power play and dominance and well and in particular in particular non consensual sex. Can it be part in part due to knowledge and awareness of abuse within the Catholic Church? Mm, I mean, that's obviously, it was their reason why she eventually left the faith completely uh, in her later days. And yeah, absolutely something that she warred with at different times. 
that you know i hadn't thought about it like that and and we we have speculated whether that might have been part of Anne's own story that she's never um really right it just man the whole scene with the two of them is rough both of them i'd want to blame armand on it but david is just as guilty let's go back oh no he's giving about how lovely he is for a minute because i want to tell you i would love for them and i hadn't thought about it until i saw a trailer for a new movie and it's the directing debut of an actor that I've been a big fan of for a while. Have you have you seen the trailer for The Monkey Man? I haven't. Okay. It's an who's who's directed? Who directs it? Dev Patel, and he stars. Shut up. Listen, oh, I love him. I do too. And it hadn't occurred to me until that trailer, but him in that trailer, I went, "Oh, holy shit! He should be the body thief and David Talbot after the transformation." <gasps> oh. I don't think they're going to go this way because I think I think Eric Bogosian as Daniel Malloy is going to fulfill the role of David Talbot effectively in the series. But if you were going to make the character and you were going to do the tell of the body thief story and what comes afterwards. Oh, yeah. That's, Dev, Patel, oh. Dev Patel does smell like almonds, I bet. <laughs> I bet he does. I bet he does. Cashew. Cashews. There you go. Um, My God. It, here's something else that I, though, that I noticed in the scene, and I and I liked it a lot. Armand loves rings and fancy things, fine jewelry, yeah. clothing. You know, he lives for a time in the Night Island off Miami, and it's like this opulent Paris. You know, I mean, not Paris, but paradise that he builds for himself. All of that comes from his childhood when he was not only impoverished, but also shown that fine things were evil. His father's such a asshole. And and like anything beautiful or lovely or nice is is of the devil. Effectively, um, my client. I've got a client named Rene Rodriguez, and he he says in his workshops that we either work generally, most of us do, to heal our past or honor our past. Somebody showed up for us, and so we're trying to be like that for somebody else, or somebody wasn't there, and we're making sure that we are there for you know whoever in our future and oh. our path. Um, I think this is a place where Armand is absolutely working for centuries and centuries to heal his past. And it was sort of lovely for yeah. me to notice that. I'm like, oh, he likes fancy things because Papa said he couldn't. And not well, just and Papa, maybe, but everybody. And maybe part of that is that that vibe you get from him that, that, I, that I feel that's kind of like that edge of like petulance. And maybe that's part of it too. It's that like, no, I'm reclaiming these things. I'm reclaiming these moments in time. I'm reclaiming my childhood. I'm reclaiming some of, I'm going to, you know, some of the space I'm going to hold for baby Armand that didn't get what he should have gone or Andre I guess that was his name yeah I do I wonder about that too like are we gonna have is Armand not the real name and what's it are they gonna go with Andre they're gonna go with something you know whatever the equivalent is is he gonna be where is he gonna be from where was Armand born in the series I can't wait to find these oh out. yeah like that whole that whole story can be completely different and still be exactly right you know like that's the best thing about the way that they've the changes they've made in the in in the show you know i think that that's something that we've we've really enjoyed is that it's 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 still the the exact like journey the characters on is the same they're just going there in a little bit of a different way and it's absolutely perfect and still very true to to the characters themselves in my initial read of this series and in the many times that i reread it when i was a youth marius was always about my third favorite character oh yeah um I know, and we know this from the fandom's reaction as they read through the novels uh, during season one's run and when all the discussion was happening there, the fandom is pretty um, pretty against Marius as a rule. They they are really <laughs> harping on all the fuckery that he's responsible for. I mean... And much less enamored by his, his wisdom and Roman ways. Here's my question here that really struck me in, in this book. He denies himself a companion. You know, he, he won't turn Armand, but not just Armand, he he won't have a real equal. He won't create himself a companion. No. Clearly longs for that partnership, though. Well, he um, leaves the companion, the true companion he has, because she's too, too headstrong, because yeah. she's too much, because she's too 
too much like him because she demands too much because she because she wants to be a part of everything because she wants to be a part of those who must be kept she wants to she gets to drink from akasha you know like she gets those gifts that are meant just for marius and i think that that's like something that's really interesting about his relationships um with his with his his fledglings and with his you know his his big loves it was so interesting to me too in this novel the absence of those who must be kept right remembering that armand literally doesn't know like he yeah he doesn't tell armand he never and he'll never never knows until you'll never be an equal you'll never be an equal with marius and if you don't know those things yes yeah and honestly in retrospect, again, you're like backfilling all of this information, but in a world where Armand spends hundreds of years in the dark and Lestat just shows up and Marius spills all the beans. Everything I'd, to I'd him. I'd hate Lestat too if I was Armand. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even really um, think about that. That would be a real jealous, a point of jealousy if I knew. And you, and he can't read, he can't read Marius' thoughts, but he can fucking read Lestats, and he's sitting right there and so you can see every moment that he spent with your beloved Marius who loved you more than anything I I do wonder why does Marius torture himself like this so he doesn't want to make another vampire he doesn't want to turn these boys he wants uh, Armand to grow old and powerful and and prosperous as a human and that's his plan for all of these boys basically but why would you do that like I mean, he he loves them in his own monstrous way. He does have sex with with Armand, but it's like because of the time period and his Roman raising, I'm sure Marius wouldn't have thought anything of that as far as a negative for these boys. It's like education for their future or whatever. But why does he do it? What is is it, it, though? He he I think he does plan to turn Armand eventually because um, I I kept the spot and this is a. around page 41 um, where he sees Marius for the first time Marius comes to him um, and he's going to take him in, you know, and he says, I'm dying master. What was my language? I can't say even now what it was, but he understood me. No little one. You're not dying. You're coming now into my protection. And perhaps if the stars are with us, if they are kind to us, you'll never die at all. Mm. Mm. Well, but that was after the attack, right? I think if the attack had no, happened, no, 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 this isn't. This isn't. This is when. Oh, that's he just when he first, had been out on the street and got sick. Yeah, no, this is like even before. I think this is when he's very first taking him in, when he's very oh, okay, first, okay. when he buys when him from like the slaver. Him. Yeah, yeah. When he's first like bringing him into his household, because he, because right that, before that, that almost makes it worse though, because then it's like he's it's it's like Nandor. Well, probably eventually I will turn you, Guillermo. <laughs> right. But not Maybe I'll, today. Perhaps I'll kill you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the Dread Pirate Roberts. Most likely I'll Pirate. kill you tomorrow, Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> so that that's my biggest question about Marius and this whole thing is like, what what is his plan and why does he do this? Why? What, I mean, other than he feels like it's charity, but there are better ways to provide for mortals as a you know wealthy immortal benefactor look at some of the things that Lestat does along the right. way with less impact on the humans lives than this although he's not great at it either I suppose <laughs> right he didn't he never I kept think, a house full of boys I'll just say that well and I Lestat. think part of that part of this is Marius wanting to create an environment that he's in control of he feels safe in after everything that because this is coming off the heels of of some shit going down real hard in Rome and him and Pandora being separated and I think if you take all that into account it's kind of like him building this like little bit of heaven on earth for himself Hmm. now why it needs to be so many boys I do not know (laughs) but I like to think it's because he's not diddling all of them, <laughs> but he's teaching and protecting them. These are boys that would be in a bad situation if not for him. He's giving them a chance. He's this like wealthy kind of benefactor that's going to help them become successful men in life. And then he's got his Armand on the side because Armand is his relationship with Armand is not like with the other boys. Armand sleeps in his chamber. The other boys do not. Like, that's not something that happens. So it does seem like this is a very different relationship than what he has with with the other young men that live in his home. 
Yeah, yes, generally. Although, and I don't have the quote written here somewhere in my notes, but I felt like there was one line from one of the older boys when Armand first gets there that seems to imply that like Armand is the new favorite, as in there might have been someone that that Armand had sort of displaced. Oh, oh, previous. Yeah, I do wonder. I do wonder if that was like maybe I read into something that wasn't there, but um, that was that was my takeoff from it. There's a great section not long after Armand is turned, though, that I thought was again like we're talking about this fascination with um, with pedophilia. Let's be let's call it what it is. Um, it seemed every man in the room was taking my measure. And understand, these were not lovers of boys. These were merely Italians of their time, who, fathering children as was required of them, and debauching women any chance they got, nevertheless appreciated a plump and juicy young man, yes. the way that men now might appreciate a slice of golden toast heaped with sour cream <laughs> and the finest black caviar. I couldn't help but smile. Kill them, I thought. Slaughter them. Oh, that's that's before his turn. That's he's telling he's saying that to Marius. Uh, the, he and Marius are in the room, and the men are basically like deciding who's gonna d- take. Oh, Armand. this is when that's when they are going to see Bianca's the people that have been threatening yes. Bianca, right? Yes. That's what that is. Yeah, and it's like the two or three that are mouthing off about how tasty Armand's gonna be when they get a hold of him, and Marius is yes. kind of letting it unfold. And then he said, yeah, kill them, slaughter them all, actually, which Marius does with a plum. It's like one of the more satisfying parts of the book. Yeah, it's um, really great. I love that part. <laughs> but it it's interesting to me, again, like there, I don't know if it's self-loathing or what, but Marius's opinion of vampires generally is so low, it seems like. He just tells Armand so freaking little. And I know he never anticipated the end of things, right? But still... God, you, we wonder in retrospect why Lestat is such a bad, you know, maker. Well, he had really bad examples. No, yo, my God, he had three terrible examples in a row yeah. between Marius and and Armand and um, uh, Magnus. So, I like, think there's something about Marius to be said for. I think that those who must be kept became a bit of an ego thing for him. Like he yes, was the chosen like no one, one to care could. for them. No one else yeah. could do this. I can't trust anyone else. I can't even trust Pandora, even though she's been accepted by them. I can't let anyone help me except this handsome young boy that I would like to suck his blood. And then no one else. And then, but this is my thing. And it makes me very important and very big in the vampire world. And so I think he's got also just his past he is an elitist for sure without a doubt Mm. like he's definitely looking down on on vampires who are a little bit more bedraggled and choose to live a a a more like like i guarantee you this this guy does not enjoy lestat's mom and her like dirty fingernails (laughs) and and shit you know what i mean yes (laughs) like he's he is a bit highbrow and he's a bit of a snob he is very much a snob. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, it had never really occurred to me, but just then as you were describing it, you know, my grandmother, God rest her soul, had a bad habit of taking on responsibility of some sort or another from the family, uh, like even without any discussion, just adopting it, but then continually complaining and reminding everyone of that responsibility that she yes. had adopted. Oh and God! How yes, no one could have done without it, right? <laughs> That's basically Marius is like you, fucking vampires. You'd all yeah. have fried in the sun if I hadn't spent the last millennia taking care of these two bastards. <laughs> right, right, and they're assholes, and I done it by myself. And the rest of the vampire I can't trust population, any of you fuckers. Well, that's the rest of the vampire population is like, do you need some help, Marius? And Marius is like, no, you can't know where they are. Don't worry. Absolutely about it. not. Shut up. They're not real. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this this book like again, even as trusted Marius, I mean, even as trusted Armand, like I don't, I mean, and I guess in retrospect, like, well, again, there's no, and we talked about this even before this novel, there is no argument to be made for Marius waiting three centuries, two centuries, whatever it was, to run into Armand again. You never, you know, he's alive. You know, he's stuck in this coven. And you don't ever, he could have burned that entire coven from without and never been in danger. Like, we know that. Anyway. 
it's yeah. very frustrating. Poor. Yeah, online. no, he just leaves him there. Yeah, that Marius Marius does come out of this looking like quite a dick, to be honest. Like I I I didn't read it that way the first time I read it, but like as a grown ass person, I'm like Jesus Christ, this asshole. Well, and I wonder, you've got the benefit, you're ahead of me now, you've read Pandora already. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if seeing it from her point of view maybe gives him a little bit more grace and, and, and color, or do we just see his flaws from a romantic standpoint as well? Well, as a you see it standpoint? in a very different way, for sure, because it is very much this, like, inability, well, we'll get into it. I don't, I, it, We'll discuss that book, but it's very much this like inability to have a give and take with a, with an actual partner, and it is um it's very very interesting. Their relationship is awesome. I, I find it fascinating, and it's very, it's it's to me it's the most um like on even ground relationship that we see him have, and so and and and, and it's even more interesting because we we see Pandora later. She's just such a broken version of herself. Mm. And 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 I mean, there's a lot of layers to that bullshit and what men do to women and all that jazz. But Ain't that the truth, you know, like it is. It's just this very interesting because they're very much on equal footing. Um, when when he turns her and he does it out of necessity, he didn't want to do it at all. She had been begging. She'd been like, "Yeah, I could totally be a vampire. I'd kill it." <laughs> You know, I I think I think I'm on board for already saying this on the podcast, but in case I haven't, I'll say it out loud here again. When the TV show The Vampire Diaries was on the air, uh, they eventually came out with the spinoff, which was really a prequel called The Originals. Right? I think the same thing could happen here with Interview with a Vampire. If you actually want to make a sideshow about the vampires, make it about Marius and Pandora and st- tell oh my God. those stories. You, again, you could make it over centuries and centuries of time and still have those two as the main two characters or, and introduce all sorts of side characters as we go. That's also got the, you know, exciting thing that, that uh, at least Pandora believes herself to have be uh, a reincarnated vampire, which is right. the first time it comes, like even Marius is perplexed by the idea. Yeah, so. she has like memories and and and, but she also goes through these fucking trippy like, uh, uh, like a Greek, uh, god, what are they, like, drug like induced? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So there's all kinds know. of crazy shit that happens. But like, yeah, they're just I, I, that story. I really wanted so much more of that story. I want those two to find each other again and fix their shit. I think that that's what Marius needs. He needs a partner. He needs, that's what he needs. And his entire, ever since he left her, it's been trying to fill that hole with anything but her. <laughs> Mostly little boys. If we're Mostly young boys. Yeah, Mostly sorry. young boys and handsome young vampires. I hate to make the crack, but it's true. Um, no. So, well, here's true. the thing I do. Pandora is really interesting to me, her story especially, because that is the one area really of these novels that I feel like is the least explored and yet the most interesting and compelling. That book's so short in comparison to the it rest is. of the series. And well, and I'll tell you why. There's a line in here actually, and I made note of it. So at this point, when the novels are coming out, you got to remember she's she's put Lestat in a coma, right? And then we go a very brief period of time, and everybody's like, "What's coming next? What's coming next?" And then the announcement is made, and it's like all these things at once. We get Armand is like about to release when she announces it, but also she lets us know that there are there's this new series that she's going to do, New Tales of the Vampires. New Tales of the Vampires. And Pandora is announced and Vittorio the Vampire is announced, but she says, oh, there's going to be a bunch of these. And, and they're going to be shorter novels and really focus on like one character at a time. We're going to hear lots of versions of these different things and, and more stories that you haven't heard yet. Well, there's a line in this one from Armand, this novel about Armand, I should say. Armand is talking about, like, he's caught up with his own backstory, and he's beginning to talk about the other books that have happened, but from his own perspective. And he very much cuts through it quickly and says something to the effect of, I don't want to talk about the past. And it and it occurred to me, I think Anne might have felt that way. I wonder how much these novels were not basically directives from publishing, like, and if I'd great, you're on a journey. You're doing some interesting things. That's good. Do you want checks, Anne? 
your vampire sale. You need to write some of these vampire novels. And she's like, well, yeah. that's not speaking to me. And they're like, great. Great. Talk, to someone, talk. Yeah, <laughs> talk to someone else. Talk to someone else, babe. Pick so up the she phone. Did, but I mean, like Vittorio is such a small and completely disconnected novel. It's not even, he literally says at the beginning, I don't know anything about the coven of the articulate, as they call themselves. And then tells his little story, small story, disconnected, basically completely otherwise. Armand's is connected, obviously. But basically when he, like, if you go to the other novels, you go back to like the vampire Lestat, when when Lestat is telling his version of Interview with the Vampire, he's very much passionate about his version of it and getting right. the details right. Because I think Anne was, oh, let me revisit some of that and tell it from a different angle. I think at this point, she really did not care to, actually. <laughs> right. She was like, I'm ready to um, tell some things in, in the current in the current world we're living in. Well, you know... Gabrielle, we were talking about how much he probably hates Gabrielle, and mm. I totally forgot about this little snippet that I had pulled out that says Gabrielle, she's around now. This is towards the toward, this is like page three seventy one. Uh, she's a she was around on the night island. Everyone hates her. <laughs> she's Lestat's mother and abandons him for centuries, and somehow doesn't manage to heed Lestat's periodic and inevitable frantic cries for help, which, though she could not receive them being his fledgling, could certainly learn of them from other vampiric minds, which are on fire with the news around the world when Lestat is in trouble. Yeah, I I love everybody gives Louis an absolute pass on ever helping Lestat because they're like, well, Louis is Louis. He's the weakest and dumbest of us. Don't worry about him. You know, he's (laughs) probably sad somewhere. But like, she was. (laughs) Everybody knows this bitch is like cutting her way through the jungle and just can't be bothered. (laughs) They're like, this is your son. Apocalypse after apocalypse, and you don't give a shit. I forgot I I forgot I did this. She was in mortal life one of those creatures who always wondered what the others were carrying on about. Gabrielle, low-voiced, unintentionally vicious. Gabrielle, virtually useless to anyone but herself. <laughs> Some night she'll say something to someone, I suppose. That's interesting. That maybe we were supposed to get a a standalone Gabrielle story. Some night I, I she'll say something was, to someone, I, I suppose. I see. I have vague recollections that in an interview or a, you know, a, it wouldn't have been Facebook Live back then. I guess. Anyway, I think somewhere on social media, sometime, Anne said that she was working on a Gabrielle story. Um, that, if you think about, there's several hints of her time amongst, like the the people of the wilderness and different, you know, uh, um. Uh, frontiers of the world you know kind of unexplored places and right i feel like there's absolutely the opportunity for again kind of like vittorio a disconnected interesting narrative where you know there's some sort of ancient evil or a mysterious something basically a scooby-doo episode except with Gabrielle right. at the center a of cryptid it, you know. it's yeah it's some it's yeah. some places she's some places mothman or something yeah something yeah absolutely we do Something that's interesting about this book, too, is that we get a, yet another version of the Louis-Claudia uh, Theater the Vampire story. Like, it's it's our, like, literally our third version of, of that whole experience this time. Well, and why Armand tells on himself, too. There's the whole part, and we've discussed it on the it's show, It's the I worst think, fucking thing. But he, t- well, he he explains how okay he didn't just sacrifice Claudia. Claudia and he right. had a deal. She was going to give Louis up, and he was going to give Claudia an adult body. And so yeah. he did Doctor Frankenstein on her. But like, there's no. It's just it's so strange that Anne would include it because it's never revisited anywhere else. It's never expounded upon. Why did he think it was even? It's possible? the most Why did she fucking horrifying visual to me. Like yeah. the way it's so graphically, like it's described so horrifically, like it's just nauseating the way it's described. And, and if you loved Claudia, like I think that I, I loved Claudia. I thought, I mean, she was, a mess what a fucking unfortunate creature you know and that was just horrifying to think about a head stitched on a body and it not being able to move right and this dead body and this vampire head oh god well the thing that occurred to me during all of that if he was willing to go that far with her and it and it didn't seem like 
it didn't seem to me in my reading that he knew for a fact it wasn't going to work either. He didn't really care whether it whether it worked or right. not. But he, and he was fine with the way that it turned out. She was out of the way. But I don't think that his intention was to trick her and just murder her. No. So if he was willing to go to those extremes, why not just give her a boatload of blood? And then she'd be super, super powerful and nobody could kill her anyway and she could go and live. I mean, she could have Gabrielle's story of visiting, you know, the frontiers of the world and doing as she would if she was just a stronger actual vampire. Like, never mind that she's a right, child. Right, right, I don't know. Anyway, that was a moment there where I was like, yeah, Armand's not only a dick, but he's in, like an unimaginative dick. <laughs> well, like, and that's, there's something a little monstrous about it. There's just this like, like, it's like the... Oh, well, the monster's name isn't Frankenstein. That's the doctor's name, but the monster's Frankenstein. It's got that kind of fucking feel to it. It's like, it's just kind of a monstrous thing to have done to someone. And then to like, uh, to have to hide it and to like, oh, it's just gross. Like every bit of that's so gross. Well, but it's like, oh my God. But like sharing, the fact that he would share it like this to David and then know David was going to write it down. Like that's monstrous in its own way. Like, you don't realize that that's going to fucking destroy Louis and Lestat when they get around to reading it? Like, Oh, here it is. I could not strike from my mind the faltering image of her girlish head and tumbling curls fixed awkwardly with gross black stitching to the flailing, faltering, falling body of a female vampire whose discarded head I'd thrown into the fire. Oh, what a grand disaster was that. The child-headed monster woman, unable to speak, dancing in a frantic circle, the blood gurgling from her shuddering mouth, her eyes rolling, arms flapping like the broken bones of invisible wings. Uh. (laughs) He does have Uh. a way with the words, don't he? Being condemned and therefore being nothing and no one, she was a perfect specimen for my whim. Ooh. Asshole. Mm. Asshole. And, okay, Th- there is a moment later <laughs> when we get all the way caught up with this with the narrative of Mimnock the Devil and uh, Armand is recounting that. <laughs> I I appreciated the fact that he could not help but remind us all that Lestat really enjoyed period blood. <laughs> <laughs> ha! Because we'll never let that go. He's like, you guys remember Lestat Nasty. Right? Remember like, this? Yeah, I'm Frankenstein, but Lestat Nasty, y'all. That's a... Yep. Yikes. Way to, way to bring it back up. Let's stay with that. So he, here's my thing. Why, other than perhaps the publishing uh, uh, pressure that might have been uh, making our, our Lady Anne write these, these novels where she revisited the stories of, of seemingly, especially in Armand's case, a character that she doesn't seem to, to have the same love for that some she does for some of the others. Um, why why do this? Why did I want to reread it? And the biggest thing that I got out of it was even a character that is less sympathetic to you, even a character who seems to be like in Armand's case, one of the things that I that I don't one of the reasons why I'm not so drawn to him is because he does seem uncurious in a way that the other characters are are more striving and searching. You know, Armand just I don't want to say low IQ because that's not no it. simple but simple yes. simple 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 is, this novel though and rereading it this time absolutely made me identify with him and understand him in that simplicity in a way and empathize with him in that simplicity in a way that I hadn't previously so I'm glad that I revisited it and I'm and my guess is that that was was Anne's was part of her journey on this novel as well was like learning to love this character that she had <laughs> Mm, left lacking sometimes in right. his own attitudes and behaviors. Well, it's, I mean, it, I am glad to have a fuller vision of how this character came to be, how this, how this vampire came to be, how he is, the why he is the way he is. And you do understand him a lot more after reading this. You know, you understand that he uh, grew up in a fucking brutal environment and then and then had this experience with Marius and and had a family and and had you know this this lovely life that was then torn from him and then to toil in superstition and fear and to go from a beautiful place full of light and and love and art and beauty to this dismal existence you know and then to have someone come along like Lestat who reinvigorates 
his desire to participate and to be in the world and to be part of the world and and he has a jealousy immediately of him you know and then and then to have this this lover of Lestat come into the picture and this chance to start something anew and also perchance to have some fuckery against a guy you don't like that much you know and then it's just it's it's a really it's it's definitely creates more sympathy for him it definitely gives the character more depth the character that was a little bit flat that you know our louis is not as great of a storyteller as lestat and our louis didn't love armand as much as he loved our claudia and so you get a different version of of Armand there too and then you get a different version of Armand in Blood and Gold which we haven't hit yet so there's just I'm, I'm glad that she spent some time really working on that character and why he was compelling to so many of our of our sweet loves you know in the most recent trailer for season two of Interview with the Vampire it starts off with Claudia asking Louis who are you Louis without me without him who are you? This novel was that journey for Armand without Marius, without Louis, without Lestat, without, you know, in all of the other novels, Armand is in opposition to, or in companionship with one of our protagonists. And in this one, he just gets to live on his own. Interesting, compelling, still not my favorite, but, um, but well worth the revisit. I'm excited. Absolutely. It's definitely worth a reread. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, folks. Um, And thank you all for joining us on that uh, discussion. Um, Ashley, you and I are just getting started with this thing. We're going to be back uh, next episode, and we're going to talk about something that we're both very much uh, more excited about, honestly, than this novel, uh, even though it had its good parts. That first episode of Interview with the Vampire Season 1 is coming our way for a rewatch. Oh, is it rewatch time, Joel? it goes down so smooth. I can't wait to get. Are we treating it. ourselves to a delicious rewatch, everyone? Yes, we are. Yes. yes. So again, I want to. I want to tell you if you haven't seen the series yet, don't listen to these episodes first. Go back and listen to us watching them for the first time too, so that we don't spoil anything for you as we go through. Because this time we are going to be drawing our notes from the whole ser- season as a whole and things oh, yeah. that they're alluding to, things that they're hinting towards. Um, things probably they, more of the tie-ins with the books too, yeah, like things we exactly. recognize, things we've had time to think about and marinate on. I'm excited. God, it's I am good. too. Well, listen, we we suffered through a long off season, and before that, we suffered through. Ooh, I don't. We had like five years. <laughs> listen, I'll say this: at least Mayfair season two, we know what we're getting, probably. <laughs> oh no! Here's the thing: I am fully buckling up for just the hilarity of it. Like, if it's anything other than completely absurd, I don't even know if I'll be able to handle it. Yeah, yeah, that's where I am too. That's where I am too. Come on, Mr. Levine. Um, oh, I can't right. wait. Well, I'm actually pumped about that now. Now that we've talked about it so much. Oh, that's my right. Goodness. Okay. Uh, Ashley, thank you for joining me and uh, revisiting this novel, The Vampire Armand. Our next novel, by the way, is Pandora. We'll be, uh, we'll probably get to that after our rewatch of season one and maybe even before our uh, initial watch of season two of Interview with the Vampire gets here. Although um, I, I don't think we'll be visiting any of those storylines in this season. Uh, oh, we, no, I don't. No, are no with way. some of the Armand backstory, I think. So uh, that'll be interesting to see play out. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and in all the other places. Uh, let us know what you thought about this novel and all of our episodes so far. Thanks to everybody who's been listening and reviewing the show and giving us feedback there. And until the next time we talk to you, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Ashley. And we are the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. <laughs>